So today we start a new series titled Thank You Notes. And uh, we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2 here in just a minute. You know, one of the first things that our parents uh, taught us to do when we were toddlers is they, and when we first learned how to speak, they taught us how to say thank you. Remember that? Uh, and you remember that because you teach your kids the same thing. Not so much that you remember way back to your toddler years. So they teach us to say thank you. Then they say to us, okay, what do you say? Oh, thank you. Then they teach us to write thank you notes. I asked you last week, how many of you, uh, your parents taught you when you were young to write thank you notes? And, and I think most of us uh, learned to do that at some point or another. And uh, so that's what this series is about. It's about thank you notes. It's about... If, hopefully you're still in the habit of writing thank you notes if somebody gives you a gift. There is a, a TV show, and I don't watch this regularly. In fact, I don't watch it. I just happen to watch occasionally some, some uh, segments on social media. And it's by the late night uh, TV show host Jimmy Fallon. And he, I've seen a couple of different things that he does, uh, some funny skits and segments. And so he has this one thing that he calls thank you notes. And it's the same every time. Uh, what he does is he, uh, he writes, he says, hey, and he always says the same thing. Hey, do you mind if I, I'm a little behind. Do you mind if I write some thank you notes right now? And everybody says, yeah, yeah. So he starts writing thank you notes and he asks the music, his music director to give him some. And it could be, uh, give me some Mother's Day thank you note music or give me some, you know, July 4th thank you notes music. And it's always the same music. And, and then he, he's just really dramatic. He just starts to write. He, he gets his pen. He goes, and he starts writing thank you notes. So it's kind of a silly, funny thing. So we're going to watch a little bit of this right now. So let's, let's watch this. I was running a bit behind today, so I thought if you guys wouldn't mind, I'd just like to write out my weekly thank you notes right now. Is that cool with you, Ed? I love you. Uh, James, can I get some Hall- Halloween uh, thank you note writing music, please? Thank you. Perfect. <clears throat> thank you. Washington Nationals logo for making every non-sports fan wonder, wait, why is everyone suddenly going nuts for Walgreens? <laughs> I did think that. Thank you. New Terminator movie starring 72-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger for being less I'll be back and more ow, my back. <laughs> ow, ow. The chopper. Thank you, trick-or-treating, for giving kids the chance to collect candy and adults the chance to judge their neighbor's home decor. <laughs> Ikea couch? Oh. Thank you, Apple's new AirPod Pros, for finally answering the question, what would it feel like to put tiny hair dryers in my ears? Thank you, Metal Rakes, for looking like the starting gate for a tiny horse race. Hi. Thank you. Thank you, Click Pens, for making sure I never need to worry about finding a cap or finding a way to annoy my coworkers. There you have it. Those are my thank you notes. Okay, just some silly fun, but that's the idea. Thank you notes, and maybe some. One of the, the weeks in this series, I'll write some thank you notes. So just keep that in mind. I already have one thank you note I'm going to write. Okay. 
As we, as we start this series titled Thank You Notes, I, I, I want to start with a message titled How to Be Unthankful. How to Be Unthankful. And uh, I know, like I said, it doesn't seem to make sense, but I think uh, once we get into this, you'll understand what I, where I'm going with this. How to be unthankful, because let's be honest, none of us are really as thankful as we should be, even though our parents try to teach us and they, they instill this in us. And even, you know, when we were older, write that thank you note. Have you written that thank you note? Yes, mom or no, mom. And, uh, we're, you know, we're not really as thankful as we used to be. We love to complain or we need to be. We love to complain. And our attention is usually on the negative so I want to take a brief look today on what causes us to be unthankful. So today's big idea, the big idea of what I want to talk to you today is this. We can learn to cultivate a life of thanksgiving by rooting out ingratitude. We can learn to cultivate a life of thanksgiving by rooting out ingratitude. So I want to read today from Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 14. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, reads like this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So how to be unthankful. I'm going to talk to you about how to, how, talk to you about how to be unthankful why did our parents insist from the beginning to teach us to say thank you? Well, because being, being thankful isn't natural. I'm talking to you about how to be unthankful, right? It's not natural. It's not easy. So don't worry about it. What Paul wrote here when he said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I mean, he's asking us to do the impossible, right? It's not possible. Surely he's exaggerating. Surely he's using hyperbole because who can do everything without grumbling or arguing? Nobody. So I would say to you, don't worry about that. That's, you know, if you want to try that, fine. But I wouldn't worry about that because, uh, you know, it's, it's easier to be unthankful. Right? And I hope nobody just takes that little cut and puts it on the web and says, I can't believe this pastor is teaching people to ignore what Paul said. But we're talking about how to be unthankful. And, and I know how to be unthankful personally, because I've been that way a time or two. So here we go. Let me tell you about how to be unthankful. First of all, to be unthankful, keep a running list of everything that bothers you. Okay? Everything. Just make a list. No matter how minute the situation might be, keep track of everything that bugs you. Now, we all have pet peeves, right? We all have, thing, we all have things that bother us. Well, I mean, if they're so important to you, write them down. I hate the way my husband chews. You know, it's so loud, so annoying. I hate the way my high school classmate, classmates write about how the, their life is going so well on Facebook. I hate that. I know it's not true. Write it down. Keep track of all the little things that bug you. And if you write them down, you'll keep track of them a lot better. So I would say every day, write one or two or three things down that really bother you. Write them down. Okay? And do that. Get you a little notebook or use your, use your phone and write these things down. Regardless of how insignificant you think these issues might be, put it down. And then, to help with that, every morning, every morning, before you get on Facebook, before you get on social media, before you get, on your, uh, get, get your phone and, and start scrolling, I want you to do this. I want you to get your Bible. Get your Bible. 
and set it off to the side. And then get your phone and start scrolling. And then look at your list of all the things that you wrote down that bother you. And read that list. And to start the, the morning. I can't believe the way some of you are looking at me right now. But read that, <laughs> read that list of all the things that are bothering you. And start the day thinking about how awful your life is. So keep a running list of everything that bothers you. And if you should happen to find yourself happy, accidentally happy, then take out your list and review all your frustrations. And uh, in that way, you'll be unthankful. Number two, to be unthankful, use negative words whenever you can. Negative words whenever you can. Because really, if you see somebody who's always thankful... Somebody who's always grateful is always saying thank you. And they're always smiling. They're always in a good mood. Really, their lives aren't that different from, from ours and from yours. It's just that they're not being realistic. If they were realistic, they'd know how bad their life really was and how negative things really were. So they, they need to start learning how to practice reciting their frustrations the way you do, the way you're going to be learning to do. So language, how many of you know the language is important, right? Our words are important. What we say, what we think are, are important. So... Be very careful of the adjectives that you use. The more strongly you label something, the better you're going to be able to cultivate a, a grumbling spirit. So use negative words like horrible. I'm having a horrible day. Or that person is horrible. You know, the weather is horrible. That sermon was horrible. Just use horrible. Just, oh, the word bad. Bad just... You know, it used to be bad was good. Now it's now bad is bad again. Thank God, bad is bad again, right? So just be just use the word bad. Oh, that was bad, but bad, bad, not bad, good. How about the word? I love this word, atrocious. Use that word today sometime. This is this weather in West Texas is atrocious. It's hot and it's cold. And it just just throw it out there. You're atrocious. That works great. That works great. Tell somebody they're atrocious. It's wonderful. They love it. Irritating. You're so irritating. Here's a good one. Stupid. Oh, you can, I'll give you permission. Say, this is so stupid. Use those words, those negative words often, and you'll be unthankful. How to be unthankful? Here's the third one. Be constantly distracted. Don't take time to enjoy your life. Let things distract you. Because thankful people, people who are grateful, people who are thankful, uh, it's just that they, they don't want to remember all the bad stuff. That's why they're so grateful. All the bad, if they just thought about all the bad stuff, they wouldn't be thankful. So, you know, that's their bad. They can't, they can't figure it out. But you know how to get distracted. Don't worry about uh, all the, the good things that are happening. You know, don't, don't concentrate. Don't enjoy your life. Or if you're eating a meal with your family, family time, you know, it could be so quiet and peaceful. Don't let that happen. Distract yourself with your cell phone. Distract yourself by watching TV when you eat. Some way, somehow, if things are going well, then distract yourself. Be constantly distracted. Always, always multitask. Don't waste your time by simply enjoying a meal. Uh, entertain yourself with your phone, with TV, something. Uh, don't give yourself too much time to focus on all the good things that are happening around you. Distract yourself. Here's the next one. To be unthankful, to be unthankful, focus on yourself when you pray. Go ahead and pray, but focus on yourself. Use your prayer time to get what you want. But God should bless you. God promised. You know, praising God for who He is, that's going to waste your time. Just ask God what you want and tell Him, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. Uh, you know, don't waste time 
telling God how great he is. God already knows that. God already knows how great he is. So you just, you know, just go right to the to the request. God, I need this. I need this. Uh, remind him of of everything that you want, but you don't have. Make it all about yourself. And then here's the last one. To be unthankful, let your health deteriorate. Just let your health deteriorate. Because everybody knows that Thanksgiving and good physical health work together. And if you're, good, if you're in good health, you're going to be thankful to God for that health. So let your health go. Healthy people, if you notice this, healthy people are always positive And they're always thankful. You know, it just makes me sick. You know, they're always thanking God. They're always thanking God for their health and how many pounds they, they lost and, you know, taking pictures of their healthy food. Uh, because, yeah, let's face it, being positive leads to making healthy decisions. So don't waste your time doing that. Make sure you never get enough sleep. Just make sure you stay up late, and if you have to get up early, just, you know, you'll be grumpy. It's, it's great. So you never get enough sleep, because when you're tired, you get grumpy, you get argumentative. argumentative. So don't waste your time sleeping. Uh, and here's another one. This is real important. Exercise is poison. Do you know that? Exercise is poison. Because when you exercise, you get these things called endorphins. That make you feel good. These positive chem- chemicals in your body. And, and, and they're bad for you. Because they keep you from recognizing how awful your life really is. So don't exercise. You can't afford to, to get endorphins. And uh, Now obviously. Obviously. I really don't want you to be unthankful. That's a terrible way to live. It's a terrible way to live. And yet many people live that way. They wear themselves out. And they wear other people out. Because they're always negative. Because they're always, uh, you know, grumpy and arguing about everything. You wear yourself out. You wear other people out. And I think most importantly, when you're unthankful, you tarnish the name of Jesus Christ. And that's really what Paul was getting at. Let's go back to our text. Paul said, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now let's look, about, let's look at this passage here a little bit. The phrase, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, in, in some of your translations, that phrase might be in quotations. And the reason it's in quotations is because it's actually a, a reference to an Old Testament passage and, and this passage is found in Deuteronomy 32, 5. And it says this. This is a song of Moses that he sang. And, and well, let, me, let me give you a little bit of background before I read this. He's, he's talking. He starts off saying they are corrupt. He's talking about the children of Israel. He's talking about the, 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 the uh, Israelites when they were in the desert. Do you remember how they were always grumbling and complaining? They complained about their food. They complained about... Uh, being out in the desert, and they, they said, we had it so much better when we were in Egypt. When they are in Egypt, they were slaves. They were doing hard labor, and yet, because they don't have things exactly the way they want them, because they don't understand what God is doing. When, after he took them out of slavery, now they're saying, oh, it was so much better in, in Egypt. And it wasn't. But that was their, their character. So he's talking about them, and Moses says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32.5, they are corrupt, And not his children. To their shame. 
Listen to this. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. So he's saying to them, look, they've acted corruptly toward God. And he says they are not his children because of their defect, because of their grumbling, because of their arguing, because of their complaining. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Now, Paul, going back to his letter to the Philippians, Paul turns that around and he says to them, he writes to the Philippian Christians, we are God's children and we live in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. And so the Old Testament, Moses says to the people, you're corrupt and you're not God's children and you are a warped and crooked generation. Then Paul says, now because now they're in the new covenant, now these are followers of Christ now. They've been saved. They're in, they're in Christ. So Paul says to them, he doesn't say, uh, you are not his children, but he says, you are his children. You are his children. He doesn't say to them, you're a crooked, like Moses did, a warped and crooked generation. But he says to them, you are his children and you live in the middle of a perverse generation. So Moses said, you're not his children. You're a crooked and perverse generation. Paul says, you are his children because you've been saved. And you're, but you're still living in the middle, in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. And, and he's saying we have to be careful not to grumble. The reason he's, he, he, he alludes to this. We have to be careful not to grumble and argue as Israel did in the wilderness, because as God's people, we are supposed to shine forth in this dark light, in this dark world, rather. We are the light that shines forth in this dark world. We hold forth to people the word of life. We hold forth to people the gospel of Christ, which is the word of life. And he says, you are God's children. So you can't be, and we're in the middle of this generation that is perverse and crooked. We can't be like this generation that's perverse and crooked because this generation is identified by their arguing, by their complaining. Now, you are God's children, he said, because you know as well as I do that children reflect their parents, don't they? Children reflect their parents. They reflect their upbringing. When we see children or teenagers that are well-behaved and they're respectful, we immediately think, you know, their parents have done a good job. And we say to the parents, you've done a good job with, their, with your kids, right? How many of you have said that? And hopefully have had that, have had that said to you. Because children reflect their parents. We reflect our Heavenly Father. The reason that Moses told the Israelites, you're not His children, is because they weren't reflecting their Heavenly Father. But Paul says to the Philippian Christians, you are His children, because they were reflecting and he was telling them, you need to reflect your father. And even though you're in the midst of this generation, don't reflect this generation. We reflect our heavenly father. When we grumble and argue, when we're not thankful, that's not a good reflection of God. If we call ourselves Christians. Now we do live, we do live today. It was true back then. It's true today that we do live in the middle of a warped and crooked generation. By the way, that word Crooked generation in the original Greek is the same word that we get our English word scoliosis, which is scoliosis, you know, is a deformity, a, a curvature of the spine. And so it's this curvature, it's this crooked. And so it's the same word. We live in, in, in a scoliosis generation, in a crooked generation. It's a generation 
that is accustomed to arguing, to grumbling, to complaining, to demanding their own way. Just check social media and you know this is true. Uh, you'll see it on Facebook and Twitter. You know, sometimes I'll read something on Facebook or Twitter and then I make the mistake of reading the comments. And how many of you know that the, the comments on Facebook and tw- Twitter are a uh, trash heap? I mean, people are, 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 you know, so argumentative, so they just complain, they grumble, they criticize. Somebody might put something up on, on Facebook. You know, my, I thank God that my child was lost for 10 minutes at the mall. I couldn't find her. And then finally, my toddler, we found her. And people might say, oh, I'm glad you found, found him or her. And then, but somebody always says, well, what kind of parent are you, you know? You're, have you read that? It's just like this. It's, it's, it's just a, a, a trash heap. Because this is our generation. It's... It's perverse, it's crooked, and and it's identified, it's marked by grumbling, complaining, by being unthankful rather than thankful. And so he says, by contrast, by contrast, look look at our text. Uh, Once again, we should be blameless and pure. Look at, again, uh, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So he gives us a contrast. We should be blameless, pure, and without fault. Blameless, pure, and without fault. Now let's look at these three phrases, words and phrases that he uses. First of all, when he says the word blameless, we should be blameless. That word has a nuance of moral integrity as seen by others. Our, our outward appearance. Moral integrity as others see us. It points to our, our outwardly behavior that is easily observed by others. And that includes our attitudes. Because when somebody has a bad attitude, you see it in their behavior, don't you? And so when, when he says blameless, he's talking about the way other people see us. And nothing in our lives should give an occasion for scandal. Nothing that others see in our lives should give an occasion for scandal where unbelievers can look at how we live and say, I thought he was a Christian. How can he be a Christian and live like that? That should not be. We should be blameless to where we don't give people a reason or a cause to to think that or to say that. A great example of of a blameless person is Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel who lived in in Babylon. He was a Jew who had been taken captive by the Babylonians. And he served in that pagan government. And when his enemies, because Daniel had enemies. It's it's not inconceivable that we as, as Christians might have enemies. And so he had enemies. And when his enemies wanted to find some charge to bring against him because he was advancing in government, even though he was a Jew. And so his enemies hated him and they wanted to find some charge against him to bring him down. They were jealous of his position. They couldn't find anything to bring him down. They looked and they looked and they finally concluded, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it in regard to the law of his God. Unless we find it in relation to how he serves God. And they, and they brought up charges. They made up charges based on, um, on his practice of praying. Because there was no 
there was no scent of, of scandal in his life. He was blameless. Now the word pure, Paul uses the word pure, is a word that focuses not on how others see us outwardly, but it focuses on how we are inwardly. It focuses on inward moral integrity. It focuses on what we are in our thought life before God. What we think, what our, our thoughts are. Because it's possible to put up a good front for people. It's even possible to put up a good front at church, but to be leading a double life. You could be an upright man at church, but be filled with lustful thoughts all the time. You could be a nice, smiling man at church, but be an angry tyrant with your family. We must be blameless outwardly, and we must be pure inwardly. That's what Paul says, in contrast to this crooked and perverse generation. And then he uses the phrase, without fault. Now, this phrase, without fault, is very interesting. It's very interesting because, first of all, it's, it's kind of a summary of the other two, of blameless and pure. And he says, without fault. It, it literally means without blemish and without, without the blemish of finding fault, of always finding fault in others. That's an interesting etymology. You know, the root of this word is very interesting. I, I, um, as I was doing my sermon prep this week, I found out that this word uh, without fault or without blemish comes from a, a Greek word. We know that this part of the, of the Bible is written in Greek. And the Greek word is amoma, amoma. Now, the letter A of amoma, I'm getting a little lesson here, okay? The, the letter A of amoma negates something. So it's like UN in English negates a word. So thankful and unthankful is the opposite of thankful. So the A of amoma negates something. So the word uh, amoma means the opposite of moma. So what's moma? What's, we've got to know what moma is so, so we can understand what Paul is saying, be the opposite of moma. Well, momas was a Greek god. If you know your Greek mythology, and, and we studied some of this in school, but in, in Greek mythology, Momus was a Greek god who found fault with everything and everyone. He found something wrong with everybody. And so people sometimes use this word to, to refer to someone who is always griping and is always finding something wrong with the situation or something wrong with, with the people around him. Uh, some, I, people will call, uh, those who know Greek mythology might call these people, um, you're being a MoMA, M-O-M-A. Uh, we are instead to be a MoMA, not MoMA, but a MoMA. But Paul says we're not to be uh, fault finders and, and gripers. This Greek God, I did a little reading on, uh, about this. And so this Greek God, and there are some stories in, in uh, Aesop's tales. And uh, he, he was always finding fault with, with something. And he, he, he's known for that. He was known for that. But then he met a Greek goddess by the name of Aphrodite. And this Greek goddess was beautiful. She was gorgeous, beautiful, had no fault. She had no fault in her whatsoever. Nobody could find any fault in her except for, guess who? Momus. Momus found one fault. He said to her, your sandals squeak. Because he couldn't accept the fact that she was faultless. She was a Greek goddess, you know. She was faultless. So he had to find something wrong with her. And so Paul is saying, look, you have to be a MoMA. 
the opposite of MoMA. You can't be a fault finder. You have to be without the blemish of complaining and without the blemish of fault finding because we want this, this perverse and crooked generation to know that our Heavenly Father is a good, loving, and caring God. So, the way that we, that we act... Um, um, among people in this world, in this world which is, which is marked by arguing, complaining, fault-finding, griping, is we have to be the opposite. Blameless, pure, and without finding fault. Without fault. Because when we do that, that contrast, that contrast brings glory to God. And that contrast allows us to hold forth in this dark world, to hold forth the word of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me just finish up with this. Uh, complaining is probably one of the sins that we as Christians most tolerate. We tolerate it and perhaps don't even think of it as a sin because let's face it, we're all prone to, to doing it. But let me tell you that complaining, being unthankful, finding fault is a sin. And it, it, complaining, arguing is a sin because it keeps us from being thankful. And more importantly, as I've said, grumbling and arguing not only keeps us from being thankful, but it tarnishes our testimony of Jesus Christ. And it brings reproach to the name of Jesus. So rather than being set apart uh, from this crooked generation, if we argue and complain, always in a bad mood, we become a part of it by our grumbling and arguing. So remember our big idea that we started with. Our big idea is this. We can learn to cultivate a life of thanksgiving by rooting out ingratitude. And we root out ingratitude by being blameless, pure, and without fault. We root out in gratitude by, instead of keeping a running list of everything that bothers you, is by forgetting those things. There's always going to be something that bothers you around you. Don't dwell on that. Don't keep any type of mental list. But rather, focus on the good things that are happening around you. The way to root out in gratitude is not by using negative words whenever you can. And I'm not saying ignore when something bad happens. We, you know, we... Uh, we're realistic. We know, hey, wow, this has not been a good day. I've had a full week this morning alone. You know, we have those days, right? But don't focus on that. Instead, turn it around and say, but I know it's going to get better because God is on my side. So learn to be positive. Instead of being constantly distracted, enjoy your life. Live for the moment. Don't allow yourself to get so busy doing stuff that you can't just enjoy some precious time with your family, with your children, with your grandchildren. Appreciate the job that you have. It may not be the best job, but don't be negative. Don't be thinking, oh, it's terrible. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's going to get worse. No, just think about the fact, hey, I've got this job. Uh, I may have another job next week. Who knows? I may not have this job forever. Things may not work out, but uh, I'm going to enjoy this and, and, and put myself into this. Uh, the way to root out in gratitude is don't just focus on yourself when you pray. But actually consider God and God's goodness and, and worship Him. Uh, now we have the privilege of coming before God with, with our petitions. That's our privilege to come before His throne room of, 
of grace to find mercy for, for us. But don't just dwell on that, but dwell on God and God's goodness. And by all means, don't let your health go. Don't let your health deteriorate. Uh, make sure that you're treating this body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift of God. He, he's given you this gift, and it's up to you to manage it well. Then treat yourself and treat your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, because that, that really does help you to, to be positive and to be thankful. And so today, what can you do? What can you do to cultivate a life of thanksgiving? What can you do to reject the grumbling and complaining that people in this world do and will continue to do? They'll continue to do that. Way before, way before there was social media, people were already complaining. They just didn't have a, they didn't have a platform for doing it. How many of you remember, the, this is many years ago, I guess the 80s, that uh, our newspaper, our local newspaper, and I think a lot of newspapers did this. They had a phone line that you could call and make comments. They, they called it Speak Your Mind. And people would call and would make comments, and then the paper would publish those comments. And uh, after a while, people started to call that instead of Speak Your Mind. I heard people calling this Speak Your Mindless because some of those comments were just kind of like what we see now on Facebook. But that was like people had a, a platform and, and they would be so negative and so rude in the way they presented their, their comments. And I had a teacher friend uh, of mine who said she called to complain about something, but she didn't want to give her. And, and you didn't have to give your name. You just gave your initials. That's it. You just give your initials and, and they would publish a comment and then they'd say this is from you know, the initials. And so this friend of mine wanted to call and she did call in to complain about something, but she uh, didn't want to um, want anybody to know that it was her. So she reversed her initials. Instead of DW, she put down WD, like anybody would be able to figure it out. But she just didn't want people to know that she had called to complain about something. So it's not new. It's not new, but we can set ourselves apart with God's help.